Chapter thirty seven of the Great Gold Rush A Tale of the Klondike. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kathy Barrett. The Great Gold Rush A Tale of the Klondike by W. H. P. Jarvis. Chapter thirty seven Oil on Troubled Waters. John Berwick's accident was the last touch which caused the uprising to crumble. One more great effort after the ideal of justice had fallen and parted. Frank Court was sitting in front of the Dominion Creek cabin, by the side of a pool of water that had formed since the claims, which rightfully belonged to himself and his three associates, had been taken over by the agents of Poobah. The policy of the land was to reap to-day and spend to-morrow, so a dam had been put in on the pup or tributary of Dominion Creek that entered above the claims, and already a harvest was in sight. Frank had some possessions in the cabin, which he had come to fetch before joining the new stampede. Above the cabin was a line of sluice-boxes, into which half a dozen lusty Scandinavians were shoveling the precious dirt. It was Frank's own claim they were working, and he gritted his teeth. For an instant his face lost its habitual grin. "'If this was only God's country,' he muttered, as he glanced through the open door of the cabin at the rifle hanging on the wall therein. He continued to whirl the gold-pan which he held in his hands. In the pan was a handful of dirt he was idly concentrating." the boss won't stand for it, and he's a white man. Frank smiled again. From the mining operations at the sluice-boxes, voices came to where Court sat. Neither the foreman nor his men had realized that their voices were carrying beyond the sound of rushing water. They were shouting that they might hear each other above the roar in the sluices, and were laughing cheerily, for Poobah was a good paymaster to his men. One dollar, two dollar, one and six bits— would float to Frank's ears, as the foreman estimated the contents of a pan, and he would inwardly groan as he calculated the wealth that was passing from him into the great grafter's pocket. "'I guess we'd better clean up. We can get her down to the black sand by half-past ten, and finished an hour later.' Something rose in Frank's throat and almost choked him. The attitude of these intruders galled him. He half jumped up to seize his rifle, when— "'No,' he muttered, "'them yellow legs!' His attention was attracted to the gold-pan. Specks of gold were floating upon the water. At the bottom of the pan he noticed an unmistakable grease-spot, and true to its nature it had secured to its surface several of the tiny yellow grains. Grease was alike fatal to the gold-pan and the stamp-battery. Suddenly his eyes took on a new light. They were full of energy. He glanced towards the working miners, and followed the line of sluices to the artificial pond in the pup where they got their water. Yes, yes, he muttered, and sprang to his feet. He hurried to the quarters of one of his friends, Jerry, the engineer on a neighboring claim where a steam plant had been installed. Jerry, said Frank, I want two bottles of lubricating oil. Pretty near all I got. Don't care, must have it. All right, what do you want it for? Frying slapjacks. Frank went with his evil-smelling petroleum. What the devil is he up to? asked Jerry, as the drooping figure hulked out of sight. The weasel that peeped at him through the poles of his cabin floor could not tell him, nor did he know. Frank put the oil on the table of his cabin, and then went outside and began chopping wood. It was now the orthodox bedtime, so he must show a good reason for being about. The sun had just set in the north, the quarter it sets in the northland. "'Shut her off!' he heard the foreman cry, and he knew the cleaning was to be commenced." Down came the axe on a four-inch stick of spruce with a force that burst it asunder and threw the pieces far apart. 
no experienced woodman in the ordinary course of events would have used so much force and frank court had chopped much wood the roar of the water diminished the voices of the clean-up men fell away he could hear no more but he knew every move first the riffles would be lifted from the sluice-boxes and the dump-box and the dirt in the sluice-boxes would be shoveled into the dump-box then a strip of wood about two inches square would be placed across the dump-box where it joined the head of the sluices this would prevent the gold from being washed down the boxes when these processes were accomplished the foreman shouted turn on half a head and ule ulison at the gate allowed half the usual flow of water to rush down the flume to the dump-box had frank watched the impact of the water on the dirt in the dump-box he would even in the now failing light have seen a burst of yellow shine out from what had previously appeared dross as the water reached the dirt the dirt was forced against it by three or four stout paddles whereby the husky workmen churned and washed the dirt thoroughly across the dump-box where the water met the pay-dirt stretched a band of gold first it was half an inch and then two inches meanwhile the pebbles and the dross worked their way over the retaining block and bumped ignominiously to the tailings it looks good said the foreman in loud tones frank heard him then shout to ule a quarter of a head court thereupon threw down his axe it was time for action he went into the cabin and placed the two bottles of oil in a bucket with which he set out for the dam it was the most natural thing in the world for a man to draw a bucket of water before retiring he might want a drink during the night Ule was almost asleep when Frank came up to him. He was lounging over the gate. Frank greeted him with, "'Good evening, partner. You're working late tonight.' "'That's so,' was all Ule had life enough to answer. Frank slipped his bucket into the water. The bottle sank against the mud. The hues of iridescence spread across the weird and silent surface. The bottles were safely at the bottom of the pool, and the bucket full of water, as Frank turned towards the cabin, saying, "'Good night, Ule.' As he neared his cabin he heard the foreman shout, "'Shut her half off!' and knew that the work of taking out the black sand from the dust was at hand. He knew that already the small specks of gold were being carried to the lower end of the pool. So he made haste, and taking a blanket, nailed it against the waste-gate of the lower pond, so that the total flood from above went through it. Then he turned in. He was awake at four on the next morning, and proceeding to the lower pond, loosed the blanket, which was heavy with water and gold then he built a fire in the open and after it was burning well placed the blanket upon it when the blanket was totally consumed and the fire burnt down frank collected the ashes and panned them out the gold was fine in form and quality and proved worth some thousands of dollars he you chicken man stuff laughed frank End of chapter thirty seven